Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, thanks for tuning into the podcast again. Tired of your business's healthcare costs unpredictably increasing every year? Healthcare costs are typically a business's second or third line item expense. And if you're like most employers, it's an expense that's growing faster than your revenue. Luckily for employers, Novetta Health has the solution. Novetta Health is a full-service healthcare consulting firm with proven strategies to lower your healthcare costs by up to 30% or more. They operate on a fee-for-service model and never mark up any of their medical or pharmaceutical claims. None of your employees have to leave their doctor or pharmacist either. Their health captive and pharmacy benefit manager are the most cost-effective and transparent solutions in the whole country. What they do is not magic, it's just honest. So if you're tired of overspending on health insurance and want to learn more, visit outcomesrocket.health save for a free spend analysis to see how you too could save by switching to Novetta Health. That's outcomesrocket.health save for your free spend analysis. Outcomesrocket.health save. Welcome back to the podcast. Today I have Joe Rivard. He's the Chief Technology Officer at Healthcare Academy on the podcast. Joe is a very passionate leader in healthcare. He's super engaged with healthcare process, system, and quality improvement through the marriage of technology and culture change. His particular area of focus is enabling healthcare institutions to identify, manage, and track events of commission and omission through internal process evaluation via custom-engineered software. He believes firmly that software is only part of the solution, that we need to definitely engage with continued follow-up at the user level in order to make the best results happen within healthcare. He's had various different roles in technology and healthcare, including a role at the Mayo Clinic. And so it's a true pleasure to host Joe on the podcast today to dive into some of his thoughts on the matter. So Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, Joe. Now, did I leave anything in the intro that uh, you want to share with the listeners? No, that's a pretty good introduction. My focus in the past 10 years or so has, has been on healthcare improvement process improvement, issue identification, and things like that. Over the last couple of years, since I've migrated over to uh, Healthcare Academy, some of that focus has been converted into education, you know, the educating healthcare institutions on, you know, requirements and regulations and items like that. And we're also diving into some, some dipping our feet in the water into the competency assessment of uh, healthcare practitioners as well. Some pretty cool stuff that you guys are up to there. So, Joe, what, what is it that got you into healthcare to begin with? It's funny you ask. Uh, <laughs> like any uh, bright-eyed young young guy going to going to school, well, not any, but when I got into computers, my goal was to be some sort of video game developer or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just really like technology. Getting into the medical field was kind of. Uh, I wouldn't say by accident. What I would say is that I didn't know much about the technology in the medical field before my wife had started working at the Mayo Clinic. And that's when I really started diving into what types of things you can do with technology and things that the Mayo Clinic was doing at that point in time. They were pretty neat. So that is where it started at the Mayo Clinic when I first started working there. Love it. And so now your work at, at Healthcare Academy 
the role that you guys are playing, as I understand, is is training, web-based training to post-acute care facilities, long-term care facilities. That is correct. Yeah. So what we concentrate on is, you know, making sure our clients have access to the necessary required training modules to meet the necessary requirements for usually it's a uh, yearly requirements for the for these healthcare practitioners to in order to be compliant mm-hmm. with their state regulations government regulations things like that to keep their licenses all those types of things we've also started working with with our clients and offering some competency evaluation where we've got a system where folks can do real time evaluations on on their employees you know nurses and assistance and things like that. To, and these are all part of requirements for these healthcare providers. So yeah. we're, we're basically, we're, we're trying to assist them with meeting their requirements and following reg- regulations. Yeah, it's definitely hard to do. And providers and nurses and any other skilled uh, clinician needs to keep up with their CMEs or continuing medical education. It's great to have companies like you that make it easier what would you say, Joe, is, is a hot topic that needs to be on medical leaders' agenda today, and how are you guys addressing it? And I just mentioned it. It's the uh, competency assessment. That's one of the buzzwords out in the industry today is helping these organizations assess their, their healthcare providers' skills, making sure they're meeting or exceeding the minimum requirements for uh, certain skill sets. One of the things that we can do is is offer metrics trending over time, uh, skill mastery scores across the board as an organization, not just as an individual. Not did Sally is Sally competent in in this skill? Well, we can do that. But what we can do is we can also say is the whole nursing department competent in this skill? And what we can also do is we start building data. the The idea is to be able to track the outcomes of these assessments and show if there were any initiatives inserted into that timeline, did they have an effect on these people's competencies? Were, was there an improvement? And you can also see pain points in the competency assessment matrix where do you have a problem area that needs to be addressed? So it'll help drive future initiatives for training on, on certain aspects of skill sets of your practitioners. Love that. Yeah, it sounds like it's definitely giving a bird's eye view to the folks in charge of the of the learning plans, helping them get the insights needed to keep their practitioners ahead of the game. Would love to hear from you maybe uh, of how what you're doing has has made a difference or created results by doing things differently. So one of the things that we can offer as well that we have along with our competency assessment and um, other systems that we have in place is recommendations on U.S. Department of Education accredited courses to assist with training on any pain points. So if we've got a pain point or an identified deficiency in, in uh, competency uh, in a certain area, we can offer automatically offer certain courses or lessons that should help alleviate some of that deficiency to help decrease the risk of an error occurring and increase your employees' overall knowledge in certain key areas. And this all is 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 directly tied to outcomes and you know, making sure your people are 
ahead of the game, if you are in the post-acute care space and haven't thought about potentially solutions like Healthcare Academy, definitely something to, to consider. Joe, you've done a lot. I mean, you you definitely have been working to solve for this need. In the process, I'm sure you've had setbacks and things like that. What's one setback in particular that maybe you want to share and and what you learned from that that has made you guys better? It's funny you bring that up. There's always setbacks here and there. That's just part of life. It's it's, What makes a difference is how how you adapt and overcome any setbacks that you see. One of the issues that I've seen in my experience personally, is when, and I'm the chief technology officer, so I I do a lot of technical-based work items and and things like that, handling releases and things like that. One of the things that I've, I've seen in the past is, in my experience, is when an organization is too rigid. Uh, If an organization is too rigid and you've got a, a, a very good developer or you've got a software engineer that sees a problem. I'm a firm believer in the, if you see a problem, say something. If you see a problem and there's an easy fix to it, you should fix it. Now, one of the items that I've had happen to me in the past is where I had seen a problem, was not allowed to fix said problem within that the scope of that release. Hmm. And because of that, and the only reason that the issue was not addressed during that release was because of the natural rigidity of, of the organization I was at. And due to that, there were some waterfall effects with the new release. Now, we ended up rolling back the release, applied a patch, and re-released shortly after. And what came out of that was that notion that of the, if you see something, say something. If you see something and you can fix it, you really should. Of course, you you log that, you add it to the release notes and you gain proper approval, but making sure that you have the ability to do that is key for a successful release. In overall product improvement, the, you, want, you want your products to go out and you want them to function well. You want them to do the work as intended. So you want to make sure that if you push a release out, that it has every fix that you need in place for everything to properly run as designed. So I don't want to get too much into the weeds about the particular release or anything like that, but there's a need to be able to be flexible, to be agile. And on the other hand of that too, you don't want to be too agile. It's a fine balance between the two. You know, you got to have guidelines. You you need to have uh, scope and you need to follow regulations, but you also need to understand that we're serving our customers, we're we're serving our users, and our users need to have functioning software the way that it was supposed to be designed. So if there's a piece that is not functioning properly for a release, even though it's not part of the patch notes, if it's discovered in the middle, it should be addressed Love and it. not be not be left alone just for the sake of it wasn't part of this release plan. Totally, man. Yeah. If you see something, say something, get it done, get it fixed. How about one of your proudest uh, leadership experiences to date? There's been a couple. I would say the most proudest experience I would have is there was a a piece of software I developed while, while I was working at the Mayo Clinic. And for a number of years, it was used inside of the Mayo Clinic. 
in just at the main campus, the three main campuses, the uh, Rochester, Arizona, and Florida campuses. And then we push that out to some of the smaller satellite organizations at Mayo. And then one of my colleagues, actually the driver of the software, Dr. Jean Huddleston, um, she would go out and she would speak to at conferences and talk about the system. And what we were seeing was a pattern of, of folks saying, you know, hey, that's a really great system. Is there any way that we could see it and can we use it? And the resounding answer was repeatedly no. Well, we could show it, but they couldn't use it because it was so tightly coupled with the Mayo Clinic. And over time, it got to the point where we had to reevaluate, should we refactor this and make it available as, you know, software as a service of some sort uh, through the Mayo Clinic. And we actually did not do that internally. We did not reach that point where we could actually put a team together and do that within the Mayo Clinic. But what we ended up doing was finding somebody, a company that came in, licensed the software, and then I was brought on out of the Mayo Clinic. I left Mayo and went there and basically rewrote the whole thing from ground up to get it ready to be utilized by organizations outside of Mayo Clinic. So when you ask that question, what was my most, what was my proudest moment? That was like, uh, I was very proud seeing that whole thing unfold the way it did. And it wasn't really a moment. It was a period of time spanning over the course of a couple of years. And it was, it was pretty exciting, you know, once, once we finished up refactoring it and getting it ready to go, we piloted it to a number of different companies and um, at that point in time, it was, it was being utilized by some pretty big organizations around the United States. So, yeah, Lots of I, would, I would say it was probably, yeah. You know, home, homegrown product that sort of gets commercial interest and uh, takes off. I mean, definitely some, some, a testament to how good it worked and, and what it did. What would you say today is an exciting project uh, that you're working on? Oh, boy. <laughs> I've got a lot of projects I'm working on. Um, you know what? If I had to pick one project, I would probably say we're starting initial talks on trying to figure out better ways to deliver our coursework to our users. That involves, you know, different learning management systems. But what I am always and have always been interested in is data and, and being able to track certain trends and things like that, like I mentioned earlier with our competencies. So one of the things that we're working on is a way to have a central repository of data for our users across all of our systems and kind of building relationships between all of our systems and giving our customers an overall view of of their data and how their how their students are doing, how their employees are doing in terms of education, in terms of compliance, in terms of improvements, in terms of any issues that any of the, the users or departments or, or certain facilities may be having. So my favorite project right now is basically taking all the data from all of our systems that we have and working it all together into a centralized, meaningful data warehouse that our users and administrators can utilize to drive their organizations and their employees to be better, to improve their outcomes and their experiences with with their patients 
more basically just improve their outcomes with their patients, mm-hmm. uh, improve patient safety, improve customer satisfaction with user satisfaction, as well as patient satisfaction, patient satisfaction with the customers than with the organizations themselves. That's another big thing that we work on is, is helping our customers determine what their patients are thinking. Do they feel that, that they're being treated well? Do they feel that there are issues inside of, of the organizations that they're being housed in, in the extended care facilities that we work with? So we have a whole system that allows for sending out anonymous secure surveys to their patients that they could fill out anonymously and, and give honest feedback to help that organization make improvements for their outcomes on their, in their healthcare facilities. So some good stuff. Yeah, no, that's really great. And, and um, it's just uh, overall getting the insights to the leaders of the organizations to get a pulse and, and be able to affect change uh, more broadly and so I love, love these examples that, that you've given us, Joe. You guys are definitely making a difference there in the, in the post-acute space. In this part of the, um, of the podcast, we're going to do a, a quick syllabus. So I've got five lightning round questions where you could give us your perspective. So with that, uh, we'll follow it with a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Sure. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I've always been a firm believer in improving healthcare outcomes by not finger pointing. So you can do a root cause analysis, but you you shouldn't do a root cause analysis to point at a particular individual. Most healthcare outcome issues or incidents or, or anything like that stem from systematic failures. So when I say systematic failures, I say I'm referring to things like there's an issue in the way a process is is standardized inside of a, an organization. We should address that process, that internal process, instead of saying, John should have done X instead of Y. Focus on the system, the environment. Don't focus on the people. The people will adapt to whatever system that you put into place. And if the system is, is, is proper, then your likelihood of decreasing unfavorable outcomes is much better. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? Finger pointing. <laughs> don't, 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 yeah, don't blame people. It never seems to work right when you try to uh, blame an individual or a group of individuals. It always seems to work much better when you work as a team to improve your your ecosystem, to improve your environment, to improve your systems that you have in place and processes that you have in place in order to have a, a favorable downstream effect to your patients. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? So in technology, technology is ever-changing. How do we stay relevant? Well, we have to stay on top of regulations, making sure that we're compliant with, you know, different types of technologies that that emerge keeping on top of what is emerging as a a new fad but on t- also the opposite side of that is to not get caught up in new fads make sure you you stay grounded even though there are always going to be constant changes in the environment that you work in especially with technology you need to stay grounded and not keep going and chasing off 
in different tangents, you have to stay the stay the course. So you need to plan and you need to evaluate, but you also need to not deviate too much from industry standards, even though there are changes, but you have to evaluate certain items. You have to evaluate potential changes before you actually commit to them. That's one of the things that I feel helps regulate what you're going to change and when you're going to change it because there, there's always going to be changes. But I think it's key to, to say change with caution. I guess you have to make sure that you're not making changes just to make changes and not to fall into any fads or trends because they, as any other technology-related uh, individual or leader would, will tell you, is they're, they're always changed. There's always something new and shiny around the corner. There always is. It's being able to identify what is new and shiny that can actually help you. Love it. So, uh, great, great one. What book would you recommend to the listeners? Well, <laughs> I'm not big on reading books for fun per se. I'm more into podcasts. Um, I do really enjoy listening to Radio Lab, especially some of their older stuff where they, they got into you know uh, science and technical aspects of, of certain topics. I think that's a great podcast to listen to. <laughs> As we're reading, I read a lot of textbook type materials. Unfortunately, I'm pretty bland in that, but I do recommend Radio Lab as a podcast. One book that I do recommend, I guess, would be that that is not a, a super technical book would be the the Phoenix Project. It gives a really good insight to the inner workings of software development, IT, those types of things in a business place. So um, it's kind of one of those staple books for individuals that would like an insight into what it's really like to develop software from start to finish, develop a product and what it takes to do that and expectations and, and, and those types of things. So love it. The Phoenix Project. Check that out, folks. Mm -hmm. So if you want to get a full transcript of today's podcast, uh, you can get that. Just go to outcomesrocket.health and in the search bar, type in Joe Rivard, R-I-V-A-R-D, or type in Healthcare Academy. You'll find all that there. Joe, take us home. Leave us with a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could get in touch. Sure, yeah. Um, so closing thoughts would be, there are many different ways to improve outcomes in the healthcare industry, but one of the best ways is, is to evaluate system failures, to evaluate issues in such a way that they're agnostic of the people involved with any issues that, that may arise. The other piece I would say is to keep track of data, keep track of when issues had happened, and keep track of what you've done to try to improve them. And then you can develop an efficiency formula basically for what works, what doesn't work. When did you do this? What did we do? Uh, did it stick? Did it not stick? So I think that's important, especially when it comes to outcomes. And also with outcomes is, and in the healthcare industry, there's a lot of uh, folks moving around the field from different organizations, one organization to another, to improve outcomes as well, you have to repeat that education, those initiatives, the training pieces over periods of time, usually yearly, sometimes bi-yearly, sometimes every, every four years. Or I've found in the past that some initiatives require more frequent revisits than others. And you can start to determine that if you are properly keeping track of your data and if you are properly 
trying to trend what you've done in the past and what you should do in the future. Um, and the other piece, if listeners ever wanted to get a hold of me, you can contact me through LinkedIn. Um, you can just search for my name, Joe Rivard. Outstanding, Joe. Hey, I really appreciate you uh, sharing your insights and some of your thoughts on, uh, on health tech and, and best practices. So appreciate that and, uh, and looking forward to staying in touch with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.